This is Paul Hansen, your host. You are listening to the third segment of the ninth edition of Boston Radio. We have Michael Ward from the Wallflowers and many other cool bands on the line. And let's pick up where we left off with Michael. Michael, you've done so many things. Are there any real milestones in your career that you're real proud of? Well, I think I was really proud to be kind of in my early to mid-20s and get my band signed to Capitol Records and have a little hit and, and uh, you know, tour the country and tour the world for a couple of years. And definitely. So, so that was that was big time to me. You uh-huh. know, it, it seemed like, wow, you know, we did it. We got our band signed. We did this thing. It's great. When that band folded, I was really honored to play with John Hyatt, and then the Wallflowers thing happened. Nobody knew the Wallflowers was going to be a big hit band. I didn't join them because they were huge. They weren't the furthest mm-hmm. thing from huge. In fact, they'd been dropped from their previous label, uh-huh. and I hooked up with them, and suddenly the record went through the roof, and we toured for two or three years on it. And That must have been an incredible feeling. So what's it like hearing yourself constantly on the radio? Well, that band, man, I, I, I'm going <laughs> to add just a little dose of realism uh-huh. here. That band, it, it was almost like the like some old fable or something where uh-huh. all the success we had seemed to come at a price, you know? Uh, um, yeah. when it, when, things that have had smaller successes or been my own projects, I think maybe I've gotten more satisfaction out of them. I had mm-hmm. a great time in the Wallflowers and we scaled enormous heights, but there was a lot of tension, a lot of drama, and by the end of it, there was a lot of bad blood, and it almost seemed yeah. like we just couldn't sustain that kind of success without it sort of tearing us apart you know Weird. and we put out a follow-up album that didn't do all that well and then i toured for about a year on that record and decided enough and i left it was amazing interesting to, yeah just the sheer numbers i mean to go and play the universal amphitheater here in la and sell it out and do wow. all this kind of stuff it, it was great you know i mean we couldn't believe we were having this kind of success yeah I, like i said i've enjoyed the other smaller things just as much i played with a singer named shelby lynn a couple of years ago shelby we lynn. did a uh, record together and and I did some playing live with her, and she's just a phenomenal artist. You uh-huh. know, there's probably a hundred people that bought that last Shelby Lynn record, but it's still one of the proudest things I've done. I just think she's so great. I was so happy to be a part of it. And uh-huh. now with Ben Harper, Ben might not sell four or five million records like the Wallflowers, but all his records kind of go platinum. We tour the world. He's got a strong fan base all around the world, and it's it's great, you know. I have this really mellow tune called Waiting for You from Ben Harper's new album, both sides of the gun. Can you tell us about this tune a little bit? I kind of wrote the tune and had this demo of it, and I brought it to Ben in the studio. He loved the song. We recorded it. Uh-huh. And then six months later, I'm in Italy playing at a soccer stadium, and there's thousands of Italians singing along to this song I wrote. It's like <laughs> that, that, was, that kind of stuff is, is magical, you know? Well, here's an excerpt from this song, Waiting for You, from Ben Harper's new CD. I've been waiting for you I've been waiting for you Never found anything else to do But waiting for you
keep open for you. Waiting for you from Ben Harper from the album Both Sides of the Gun. Last time I was at your house, you had studio in the basement. Mm-hmm. Do you still have the studio down there? Same thing. I mean, a little bit different gear and everything. Yeah, uh-huh. the same room. I think you had some Roland VS recorders. Oh, the Roland VS stuff. Yeah, definitely. I still actually I just used it a couple weeks ago because I had to record some things just kind of on the road, and I just got a case for it. I take it. I started with a, the VS eight eighty, and I eventually got the sixteen eighty. Yeah, and uh, I've always just loved those things, man. They're they're super clean uh-huh. sonically to me. They've never ever ever. I mean, never crashed on me or had any glitchy things ever. Look, we all use this, you know, Pro Tools and different stuff and different uh. applications. And, man, every single time I'm in the studio, whether it's my own version yep. of Pro Tools or you're some other studio, <laughs> there's going to be that moment where the engineer looks at the monitor and goes, what? Oh, okay, take a break for a while, you guys. i got to reboot. I don't know what's going yeah. on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Never had that with this VS gear. And, um, yeah. It's, I just, they're just great little workhorses, yeah. man. They sound great. Well, we've got these new Boss recorders called BR recorders. Oh, yeah? And they use the same basic technology as the VS recorders. These two small ones, one is uh, about the size of a little bit bigger than an iPod. Mm-hmm. And, and it's four tracks with 32 virtual tracks. Really? got built-in drums, like 300-something drum patterns in right. it. And, you know, you can just carry it in your shirt pocket. Yeah. And then we have one a little bigger called the BR600. And that one's my favorite because you just set it in front of your guitar. It's got killer built-in stereo mics. It's a perfect writing tool for going to a friend's house or whatever. Anyway, the BR recorders are like the VS recorders, only less expensive, easier to use. Lots of guitar features, too. Oh, I've had such great luck with the VS stuff. I'd love to check out the Boss one. I remember you used to have a, s- several baritone guitars. Yeah. Well, that toward the the second School of Fish album and into the John Hyatt stuff, I was really into this baritone thing because my good friend out here, Danny Farrington, he's a guy uh-huh. from Louisiana, but he's been out in L.A. forever. Uh-huh. A lot of baritone guitars throughout the ages have been, the electric ones, have been kind of a clean, twangy, telly kind of sound. And I was like, let's just make a beast. Let's make a the most <laughs> rockinous yeah. monster we can. And he had this a couple old Gibson pickups from the 70s that were lying around in his shop, and we mounted them in this thing and came up with this design for the body. And this one in particular yeah. that I have, it's a, it's black, the, uh-huh. amazing. It's tuned to fourth lower than standard from B to B, but it's just six-string. And uh, you got to be kind of muscular to play those guitars, right? Man, they're a workout. <laughs> and it, but the thing is unbelievable. It, I hear so many guys try to do detuned stuff and everything, and in fact, if I used it on... Uh, the Avril Lavigne record. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Producers, when I use this guitar, they always call me six months later. Hey, I'm in the studio with this band, and we're trying to detune these guitars down uh-huh. to C, and it's just, I don't know, it's, everything's out of tune. Can we borrow your baritone? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm always like, too nice of a guy. Sure, here's my guitar for oh, a week. Oh, that's you know? cool. The, the low B string on the baritone is a 72. And the, oh, wow. Yeah, it's like a bass string. The high B string is uh-huh. a 16. So they're like... It, it, Whoa. It, yeah, it's so like piano wires. There's definitely a manly kind of like lumberjack guitar. Yeah, you cannot bend strings on it. You can barely <laughs> milk any vibrato out of it. But it's yeah. just, if you're going to hit big, beefy power chords, it's unstoppable. Uh-huh. So here's an example of Michael's massive sounding baritone guitar. This is from School of Fish's second album, Human Cannonball. This is called Fuzzed and Fading. <laughs>
Very huge. So you've always been um, into experimenting, and but I also notice a lot of really classic effects these days in your guitar tone. I hear a lot of tremolo, right, and a lot of classic stuff, like Leslie speakers. Yeah, I mean, I've always been a tremolo fan. I've always uh-huh. just been a sucker for that. But then the Leslie type rotary type sounds was a uh-huh. big uh, Wallflowers deal. I'm not using that stuff so much now, but the fun thing is, man, like you find that. All this stuff just kind of cycles around. You know, when you've been playing guitar for, mm-hmm. I mean, I started when I was 10, so I hate to say it, I've been playing for 30 years now, right? You know, you, you go through these phases and you think, okay, this is it. This is my sound for the rest of my life. But then 10 years later, you might be onto something slightly different, and then maybe yeah. it's going to cycle back around. And it's kind of fun, you know, just to be able to experiment through the years with so many different sounds and, and approaches. Uh-huh. It's, it's what keeps it fresh, you know? Do you have a special tremolo that you use? Well, Demeter himself always made a really good tremolo. Uh, um, uh-huh. I have a Boss one in the rig right now, and it's amazing. Cool. That's, yeah, the greenish one, the TR2. Also, Boss makes this new rotary pedal called the RT20. Have you seen that? No. Yeah, it's pretty new. It's got this um, display in it. And, and, you know, Leslie Speaker has the horn at the top and the right, exactly. and the, the box at the bottom. And in this display, it has a little blue light that spins at the rate of the, the box. Right. And then the, the orange light spins the opposite direction where the horn would be. Ah. So you got this cool visual, but <laughs> but it's got three different Leslie speakers in there and then wow. a, and then a Univibe too and it's man. Oh no no, that's, that sounds like a must have. Absolutely. Just to segue away from guitar for a second. You are totally into bicycling. Tell us about the book Mike and the Bike. Well, we referred to my uh sort of uh, fanatical cycling <laughs> thing and uh started in about 91 or 92 just Got on a bike, started riding. I had some friends that were riding, and I just took to it like crazy. I just fell in love with riding bikes. And, you know, I got more fit and in shape and just kind of turned over this whole new leaf in my life. And then around the Wallflowers era, I met Lance Armstrong. We became really good friends. Uh I started training with him and all these guys that he, you know, on his team. And, I I mean, I got really hardcore about it for many, many years of my life. I still ride a bike like crazy. I ride Uh 50 or 60 miles a day. um, Oh, my gosh. A little less competitively. Still, the bike goes everywhere with me, and I love it, and, and that that's my deal. But when my son was born, you know, and, and you start collecting all these children's books, and mm-hmm. I thought, I want to make a children's book. And uh-huh. I started thinking, I mean, it literally took that long for me to it dawn on me, like, Mike rhymes with bike. And 
okay, I'm going to make a story called Mike and the Bike. And since I knew Armstrong and all these guys, I realized, well, I could get a really cool team together and make this, make a cool product. So I wrote this little children's story about a kid on his bike, and I have a great illustrator friend who's also a great musician. His name's Bob Thompson. He did the illustrations for me. Lance agreed to do a little forward for the book for me. And uh, there's this great uh-huh. TV commentator guy, this English guy named Phil Liggett, and he does all the Tour de France TV commentary and all that. And he narrates the story. So the book comes with a CD. You get music. You get these songs about riding a bike that my son sings uh-huh. all the songs. <laughs> Phil Liggett, you know, narrating the thing. And it's just a really cool little package. i got a loud cat. If you're listening to the show and you have kids, uh, check out MikeAndTheBike.com. Absolutely. And you can find the book there. And it's available at all kinds of other, you know, Borders, Barnes & Noble, Jamba Juice, all that stuff. Um, anyhow, I recorded all the narration for the book with this guy, Phil uh-huh. Liggett, on the 1680. And like I said, I take the thing anywhere and it's rock solid, you know. Cool. Hey, you know... I got to tell you, on the last interview, I interviewed Steve Travato, yeah. and his dog was barking you know, <laughs> throughout a lot of the thing. Anyway, hey, thanks for being on Boston Radio. Well, hey, man, I'm not going to hang up without saying a little something. And You know, I'm on the phone here with Mr. Paul Hansen, and this is a guy who played a huge, huge role in turning me from a really bad guitar player into a guitar player that could make a career out of it so I, I gotta say that and it's completely sincere <laughs> I came to GIT I saw this blonde surfer looking dude just tearing it up and I said I gotta study with that guy and Paul thanks. you've just been hugely influential oh, and helpful to my career and man I can't thank you enough oh thanks Michael I appreciate well, that <laughs> you know it's true man so. uh, thanks a million and good luck Michael until the sun comes Nothing seems to change much around you. I think Michael's ahead of his time with this detuned low guitars. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening to this ninth edition of Boss Tone Radio. And remember, you can always find out more about really cool boss gear at bossus.com. See you later. <laughs>